Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you turn your Bibles to Joel chapter 3, tonight we're going to finish up the book of Joel. Joel chapter 3, we're going to look at uh, verses 9 through the end of the chapter. Um, let's just kind of think back of what the book of Joel has been about. Uh, first, in the first chapter, we see that Joel is telling the people what they need to get out of the locust plague that has come. A locust plague has come upon the land. And God has a message for them through it. Um, Joel is reminded that in Deuteronomy, that that it tells God's people that if they break covenant, God would send a plague of locusts on the land. Also, that he would send their enemies upon them. And then in chapter 2, we see how he's done that. He sends an enemy people upon them. An army uh, comes upon them and ravages the land. But yet, at the end of chapter 2, we see a, a, a turn there. We see a turn where God restores the years of the locusts. He restores the years of the locusts that the locusts have eaten. He um, also promises a time in the future when the Spirit would be poured out on His people. I think one of the things that's important about the Spirit being poured out on His people, you know, the reason for uh, the people breaking covenant with God is they didn't have the Spirit. They didn't have the Spirit enabling them to obey. And so what you see in the Old Testament of of a people of God that didn't have the Spirit yet is a people that would continually break His law and break His law and break His law and God had to send judgment for that. But yet He promised a day that came on the day of Pentecost, that came after Jesus ascended into heaven whenever the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. The Spirit would be poured out on believers of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And yet one of the things that, that remains is this nation, these nations that have been Israel's enemies had defeated them, and God is, not, God is just, and he'll have vengeance on the nation that had mistreated his people. We've been seeing that in chapter 3 already. We looked at the first eight verses last week of how... Of how uh, God would be summoning all of the nations, the, 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 uh, the enemies of God's people, to this valley of Jehoshaphat uh, in order to, that, that God would have judgment. And uh, I think I mentioned last week, there is no valley of Jehoshaphat. If you look at the maps, there, there is none. This must be a figurative thing. And the, the word there, valley of Jehoshaphat, it means the valley of the judgment of the Lord. Or the valley of the judgment of Yahweh, God's divine name. So he looks forward to a day whenever God's enemies would be judged. You know, we want that to happen. We long for justice too. Now, if God gave absolutely perfect justice without any mercy, none of us would be able to stand. 
Yet God gives his justice mingled with mercy in the fact that he sent his son so that anyone who looks to him will be saved from the wrath that was to come. The verses we're going to look at tonight do speak of the wrath that he will pour out on his enemies. So let's go ahead and take a look at the beginning of verse 9 through the end of the chapter. Proclaim this among the nations. Consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men. Let all the mighty, uh, let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, "I am a warrior." Hasten and come. All you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vat overflows, for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So you know, so you know, so you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never pass through it. And in that day, the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water, and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord. And the water of the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall become a desolation, and Edom a desolate waste wilderness, for the violence done to the people of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood, blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to submit to your word. When we talk about judgment, that is something that we often don't like to hear. And Father, I just pray that you would give us hearts that would be receptive to your word tonight. Give me strength and grace as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord was calling the nations to come to the this valley, this figurative valley, the, the place where battle lines are drawn uh, in order that he would judge all of the nations. There is no valley that is big enough in all the earth that could gather all the nations together. 
You could go to the Grand Canyon and you couldn't fit all of the nations, all of the people of the world in the, even the Grand Canyon. So this is, this is some kind of figurative place where God is, is gathering the, the nations together to judge. This passage reminds me of Psalm 2, where it says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot a vain thing? The Lord sits in heaven and laughs. All of the nations, they rage against God. And, and they, 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 they want to try to bring down his anointed. And yet, God in heaven sits there and laughs. They couldn't touch what God can do. Here, there's a call for all the nations to come. Proclaim this among the nations. He's telling them to consecrate for war. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead, consecrate for war. Do everything you need to do to prepare for battle. He's saying, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. We are familiar with the opposite of that. In the book of Isaiah, it looks forward to the time uh, at the end when, whenever uh, the Lord returns and there will no longer be any war. There will be peace and we'll... Uh, beat our swords into plowshares and our pruning hooks into spears. But before that time comes, he tells them, take your farming implements and turn them into weapons. <laughs> because you're going to need everything you can if you're going to try to face the Almighty. And it won't be enough. He says, let the weak say, I'm a warrior. This little weakling saying, I'm a warrior. Just think of how funny that that might sound. Hasten, come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. So you have the valley of Jehoshaphat, and you have the armies of all the nations on one side of the valley, and you have the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, and all of the armies of heaven on the other side. And the Lord sits there to judge the surrounding nations. He doesn't have to do anything. He sits. He doesn't have to go out to, to battle. No, he sits and he judges. And, he takes, and it takes place. He says, put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. When it comes to God's Judgment here, he speaks of a harvest. And we can think of the same thing as Jesus talked about the day of judgment whenever he would come and he would separate the wheat from the tares. Whenever he would harvest the earth and he would separate the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the tares, and uh, people would be separated on the basis of what they've done with Jesus. Put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread for the winepress is full. The vats overflow for their evil is great. This is a picture that we see also in Isaiah. The idea here is that the enemies of God are pictured as the, the harvest of grapes. And they're put into the winepress. And God is the, the one who's stomping down the grapes. We sing about this when we sing, uh, My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. 
When the, when, the, when the time of the judgment comes, all of the enemies of God will be like grapes in the middle of a vat, and God will be stomping them down, and blood will be all over his terrain. It seems like a very violent picture, but yet such is the wrath of God that is to come. It says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near, the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened, the stars withdraw their shining. Multitudes, multitudes are there, all of the nations are there. Everyone who's ever lived will be there on that day of judgment. In the valley, this time it says, in the valley of decision. Maybe you've heard a sermon on the valley of decision before. The valley of decision. It seems uh, that many have used this to, to, to point to a decision that each one of us must make. That, that, that we must, we are there in the middle of a valley of decision, and we have to make the decision, will we follow Christ, or will we be with the world? Now that is a true thing, but this text is talking about the valley where God will make a decision about us. It's in the valley of decision where God will make his final judgment concerning us. He says, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth quake. It, it, it's, it's a violent shaking of all the earth. He, he roars like a lion. And yet, look at the next line. But the Lord is a refuge to his people. A stronghold to the people of Israel. Here, you see there is a distinction here. God will have justice upon the nations. He will have justice upon his enemies. He will have justice to those who rebel and stand, shake their fists against him in rebellion. But to his people... It says here to the people of Israel in this Old Testament context, we see from the book of Romans that not all Israel is Israel. But even the uncircumcised who put their faith in Christ, they're the true Israel. We who are in Christ, when we have submitted to the King of Kings, when we have bowed to Him as Lord, when we have trusted in Him to save us and redeem us, to make us born again, we can become a part of God's people. So the, the judgment that comes, it, it, is, it is violent, it is extravagant, it is, it is uh, uh, unbelievably horrible. But yet there is a refuge. That refuge is to be a part of his people. That refuge is to look to Jesus Christ. To become a part of his people. John chapter 1 tells us, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Those who receive the Lord Jesus and have trusted in him. 
I think this verse 16 is so beautiful, especially towards the end. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. Verse 17, you shall know that I am the Lord who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never pass through it. He does this. He, he judges the wicked and he's a refuge for his people so that we would know that he is the Lord. He does it for his own glory. He does it to, to bring us to him, to cause us to worship him and to recognize who he really is. And as it says, and Jerusalem shall be holy and strangers shall never pass through it. I think that reminds me of the very first verse that Mike read from. In the new Jerusalem, in the new heavens and the earth, and new earth, one day there will no longer be any murderers, no longer be any uh, sinners of all different kinds, no, no more, longer any liars. I, I don't remember all of the list of sinners that it says will no longer be there. Now I'm a sinner. I've lied. I've done many things, but my sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I've become a part of His people, and I can find refuge. Yeah. Verse 18. In that day the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water. A fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord and water from the valley of Shittim. In the earlier chapters of Joel, we've seen how the, the, the plague of the locusts just stripped everything bare. There wasn't any water. There wasn't any wine. There wasn't any grain. None of that because of the plague that had been sent. But God is promising a day of fruitfulness that would be there. The, even the mountains will drip with wine. Now this is figurative, of course. But it's to show us a picture of, of a fruitful land. And the stream beds of Judah. And, and, and the hills shall flow with milk. It reminds us of the picture of the promised land that was said to be a land of milk and honey. And a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord. It's not just a little trickle, <laughs> but, but it is an overwhelming fountain that flows. And we think maybe of the song, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flow, lose all their guilty stains. Amen. Verse 19, Egypt shall become a desolation, and Edom a desolate wilderness for the violence done to the people of Judah because they have shed innocent blood in their land. Edom and Egypt both were uh, considered the enemies of Israel. Uh, I think maybe they could be, we can consider them symbolic for the, the enemies of the people of God. In the time when Jesus returns and he sets all things right, we will no longer have the hostile world that we face any longer. They'll no longer be there. But Judah shall be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem to all generations. 
I will avenge their blood. Blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. Believers, we will be vindicated. In this world that is hostile to us, we face persecution. We face um, hostility from the world. And one day, God will vindicate us. Just as he vindicated his own son. Jesus was mocked and beaten and crucified. And he was vindicated when he rose on the third day. And we are suffering like Christ. When we are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And one day, if Jesus doesn't return, we will all be put into our graves. And the world might say, look at what their faith has done for them. But one day we will be vindicated. When the Lord comes and we raise from our graves and we are seated with him to rule and to reign. Judgment is not a fun thing to talk about. Nobody wants to talk about judgment. Yet it is a clear thing that the Bible teaches. We need to understand that God is a God of justice and judgment because it makes His grace so much more sweet. To know that, that we deserved this judgment and not because of anything we did, He has spared us from that judgment. And he's, invited, he's adopted us as his own sons and daughters. If there's anyone here tonight who has not fled to Jesus, know that there is a judgment day coming where we will all stand before our Maker. And there is one place of refuge, and that is to be a part of God's people to look to Jesus, to receive him, and we can be called sons and daughters. We can be adopted into his family. We can be forgiven and made clean. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church in Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.